0: she's like darling how are you how how have you been and I totally launched into like the litany of projects you know that I've been working on and she took my hand and she said stop (laughs) I asked you how you're doing not what you're doing and we got into this whole thing and she wrote on the placemat. she wrote you are enough welcome to
1: enoughness My name is Lisa Wang, national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur. This is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question how much is good enough? Today on the podcast, we have Fran Hauser. She's a longtime media executive, startup investor, and best selling author of The Myth of the Nice Girl. She's held senior positions at some of the world's largest digital media businesses, including People, InStyle, Entertainment Weekly, and AOL. Now a startup investor who largely invests in female founders, Fran was named one of Business Insider's 30 women in venture capital to watch in 2018. Fran and The Myth of the Nice Girl have been featured on a wide range of incredible outlets, including NBC's Today Show, CNBC, People, Fortune, Time, Fast Company, Oprah.com, L, and many, many more. She's a frequent speaker on women's leadership and writes a regular career advice column for Refinery29. Fran, welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Uh, So I loved your book, um, and I think that the whole premise of the book um, really struck me because it's really about balancing these supposedly contradictory traits in women, Um, you know, being assertive or nice or ambitious and likable, which have in many ways, especially in the workplace, been almost mutually exclusive. You can't have one if you have the other. So um, I want you to just talk about what is the myth Mm -hmm. of the nice girl?
0: Yeah, so the the myth of the nice girl is that if you're too nice at work, that you're not going to get ahead. You know, you're not going to get the corner office, whatever the corner office might might mean to you. Um, I obviously believe it's it's a myth because I've seen in my own career. You know, I've always been the nice one. I've always been the nice person. Um, and what I've realized very early on in my career is that. If I tried to be somebody else, like I'd get bad advice. You need to be tougher, you know, you need to take on a tougher persona. And I tried that once, actually. I remember very early on in my career, I, I went over someone's head to get something done. Um, and I got the win in the short term, but I ended up really damaging my relationship with the person. And it was really sort of an aha moment for me of like, okay, wait a second, being nice actually works. Because what it does is it allows people to trust you. And then it allows you to develop deep relationships with people. And being successful in business is all about relationships. So um, I think being kind and and caring and compassionate and empathetic, um, all of those things, while at the same time being strong, That, for me, is really the the most effective combination at work. It's it's what you said earlier. I don't think that we need to pigeonhole or, like, box box women in, like you can be nice and you can be strong. Mm -hmm. It's possible to do both. You know, we have curves, we have edges, we have, we're very multifaceted. Um, And I, I, I I know, like just based on my own career and seeing other women who I really admire and respect that it is possible to do both and that the most effective leaders actually lead with both qualities, with both kindness and strength. Mm -hmm.
1: Why did you choose the word nice? Yeah, because I know it, it, it's, In some ways, almost a it is a negative word for a lot of people. It's like
0: plain or average. Um, What what about that word struck out? Yeah, it's it is a very emotionally loaded word, Um, and the reason why I chose it was because I felt like I wanted to be a little bit more provocative. You know, Um, I I wanted to. Plus, I'm always when people say like, "Do you know Fran? She's so nice." Like, it's always the first person, the first word that gets used to describe me. Um, and then that'll be followed, with she's really smart and she's really effective too. Right. Yeah. But it always starts with, she's so nice. Um, so I, I wanted to address it really kind of head on, you know, that, um, that yes, I, I am nice, but the way that I define nice is I think of somebody who is empathetic. I think of someone who is, um, collaborative and also someone who's got the confidence that there are enough opportunities to go around and I think that's that's very much um, the way that I have kind of I've approached opportunities is like if you win it doesn't mean that I have to lose Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we support each other especially as women not a Um, zero-sum game it's not a zero-sum game and like having that abundance mentality is a big part of being nice I think where nice gets tricky is if you veer into people-pleasing territory. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you start, like, sweeping things under the rug because you don't want to make waves or you're just unequivocally saying yes to everything, um, then that becomes an issue because it's very easy then to be perceived as a a pushover and to be perceived as weak. Mm -hmm. So it is really important to constantly be checking in with yourself, you know, and making sure that... Yes, I I am being my best self. I'm bringing my best self to work, um, but I'm not veering into that that people pleasing territory because that is so unproductive.
1: Right. So did you have that phase in your life where you did veer off into kind of the people pleasing
0: area, especially yeah. as you were you know, going up in your career? Definitely, like very early on in my career. You know, after I graduated from college. Um, I was actually working in public accounting. And I just, I remember wanting to make sure that everybody was happy. You know, the the manager who was running my team, the team that I was on, the clients. Um, And look, I'll be honest, I think very early on in my career, it served me well because I was always raising my hand. Um, I didn't mind, you know, I was the most junior person. So like, I didn't mind getting coffee or like going out and getting dinner, or like those late nights. Um, so I had a really great attitude and different managers started asking for me to be on their teams. I you know, look, as you progress in your career, that quality doesn't serve you as well, mm-hmm. right it's It's more important to to be confident and to set boundaries um, and otherwise, people are going to walk all over you. So you do have to kind of think about like, where are you in your, in your career? Yeah. It's an important question.
1: At what point did you transition or do you remember a specific point where you started thinking about yourself as a leader?
0: Hmm. You know, I, okay, so I started running big teams at a very young age. When I was at Coca-Cola, I was 27 and I was running a team of 140 people. So I was the director of finance for the New York division of Coca-Cola Enterprises. Um, it, was a, it was a really big job. And it was also just a big jump for me like as a manager, and I didn't have any formal training. And I remember what I did a lot of was I listened, I asked a lot of questions. No, i had people reporting into me that were in their 40s so i didn't want to be like the oh i know everything i'm gonna i'm gonna come in and like change everything up you know um so i think even at that age there was this sort of innate wisdom that you know i should probably listen more than i speak at least for the first few months and just get a lay of the land and understand where like the opportunities are where the threats are um you know the 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 complexity of all the different relationships on, on the team, all of that stuff. Um, but that, I would say, was really the first time that I felt like, wow, like I'm running a big team and I'm a leader. Like these people are following me. You know, I, I'm setting direction. I'm establishing what success looks like. Um, I'm making sure that we're all kind of like marching, you know, in that same direction. So I think that was a, a big moment for me. And, and the other big moment, I would say, was launchingpeople.com, so People Magazine's website. Um, you know, when I started working on that website, it was like me, my assistant, and a few editorial people. And we got to a point where we had almost 100 people, you know, working on that that website. Um, and we were generating a lot of revenue. It was one of the 10 most profitable businesses for the company out of 200 businesses. Mm. Um, and that was like, a for me, a really big just business win, you know? And the, the idea of like being able to launch this startup within this like really big legacy company. Um and once I became known for that, it I just kept getting more and more responsibility, you know? And I I talk about this a lot, not so much in the book because the book is more about bringing your whole self to work, but the other half of it is you have to do a really good job. Like mm-hmm. you have to have operating rigor and you need to have those wins like you need to be known for something yeah. it needs to speak for itself you you need to be known as the person that did x or launched y or you know or made z happen like so and and once i became known for people.com i was then given in style and entertainment weekly and you know, Essence and people in Espanol and then, and then other brands. So just doing really great work and delivering value for the company, right, mm-hmm. is, is the other big, big part of this. So, yes, leading authentically, bringing your whole self to work is important because then you're going to feel comfortable in your skin and you're going to, and you're going to feel confident, but then it is also that other part too.
1: During that time, what was really driving you at work? Like, was it that feeling of bringing value to the company, or was it the feeling of value to the customers?
0: Mm-hmm. So, what was really driving me was the idea of building mm-hmm. something. Like, I love I love to build. I really do. Um, so, this idea of like we're starting with this premise of we have a website. That's a marketing channel right now for the magazine. It's all about driving subscriptions for the magazine. And we have to actually build a standalone business out of this. So that was a challenge that I was really excited to take on. Um, I loved the brand. And I loved the people that I was working with. Um, So all of that was just amazing. And I loved that we had this really big, like, moonshot goal. I work better when when I have a goal. You know and and it's just much easier to rally you know to rally the troops and like I'll never forget when we got to like 5 million monthly unique visitors and Mm -hmm. then 10 and 20 and 30 and you know at one point we were doing over a billion monthly page views I mean uh, you know and and it was it was this amazing team that um, that made that happen and so for me, like, I loved I loved hiring people. I loved thinking about, like, okay, what departments do we need? You know, where do we leverage the existing organization versus where do we need to bring new people in? Like, mm-hmm. digital marketing, you know? We didn't really have that expertise in the company, so we had to bring that in. Or business development, people that could do big deals with, like, Yahoo and CNN and AOL to get traffic to the site, you know? Yeah. So um, I love to build. And when I get bored is when... I'm not in build mode. Like, by the end of my career mm-hmm. at Time Inc., I had this really, really big job. I was overseeing a lot of brands. But we were totally in cost containment mode. And it was like every six months, we were letting people go. Um, and it was more, my job was more about, like, the budget, you know, and, like, presenting to the CEO and um, and figuring out how we're going to cut corners. And that's just not, it's not as, it's yeah. not as enjoyable for me. That's the same for me. I, I need
1: to build. I need to create and um, there are certain, like, even the, the operational, um, like, day-to-day stuff is not what excites me. It's, like, you know,
0: creating those big goals and the visions and then, like, driving towards that. And then thinking about, like, okay, how's the consumer going to perceive it? You mm-hmm. know, even with the book. Like, the book is it's a build. You're yeah. building a product. And, you know, thinking about the cover. And, like, I just remember being at the hair salon one day and I was like just thinking about like what should the cover look like and all of a sudden I started picturing all of these labels you know because women are are, they're labeled right Mm -hmm. they're aggressive they're they're a pushover they're and I just sort of pictured these like words in the background um and I I gave that direction to my publisher and their design team did an incredible job like they came back with like exactly what I, you know, wanted, but then even just tweaking it, like mm. circling the word love and like crossing out the word hate and you yeah. know just get getting into the consumer, like the reader's shoes. Yeah. And um thinking about like what's what's going to sell, you know? So it's all of that is really really you and I are very similar in that way. Like we we have the creative juices, we love packaging,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: All of all of that is so much fun for me.
1: Yeah. So it seems like you've had a very like, varied and illustrious career from, you know, Coca-Cola to CPG to media, and then you became a startup investor, and now you're an author. Um, can you tell me about those transitions? And I, because I know that that's really hard for people, because
0: you're you're basically leaping into the unknown. Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you about, because um, you're right, I, I have made a lot of transitions, actually. Like, I feel like I've reinvented myself kind of a few times. And um, the first big transition was leaving Coca Cola to go to Movie Phone. And at the time, this was 20 years ago. I mean, Movie Phone was basically 777 film and was just getting onto the internet. Mm-hmm. So, this idea of like being able to like look up Showtimes and, you know, buy movie tickets online, right? It was kind of a big deal back then. Um, and I remember that I remember this moment where I was at Coke and I was in that big job and I was working for one of the world's most admired companies. And I started feeling like, but wait a second, I don't want to be doing finance forever. I really want to run a business. And I was afraid that if I stayed at Coke, I would be siloed. It's hard when you're in these big companies to like move around and i got this random call from an executive recruiter about this early stage company movie phone they were looking for an svp of finance and i'm like let me just let me take the call i took the call met the founders and what i said to them is look for me to leave coke it's kind of a big deal you know and this is this is a really risky move my longer term ambition is i want to run a business so i'd love to get exposure to other parts of the company other than just finance is that something that you could commit to doing and they did they said yes we can do that for you like you'll be the svp of finance but we're happy to have you work on different projects and you know ex- start i even started a a department while i was there that i could mm-hmm. talk about but so it was a big thing for me right Because i'm like I'm, I'm leaving a very stable right to go to this risky but i knew what was important to me i, I knew that i wanted to run a business and I felt like going to an early stage company where there's a lot more flexibility, it would give me the opportunity to do that. And that's what happened, you know, and so I ended up getting exposure to operations and to sales strategy and to marketing and, you know, to different departments. We ended up selling Phone to AOL and the founders retired They, you know, they were very young. They were like in their early thirties, mm. I want to say. Um, and I ended up running Movie Phone as a division of AOL, and so that was really my first general manager role. Got it. But I wouldn't have been able to do that, right, if I if I hadn't made that that transition. Mm-hmm. So I think, like going back on like the lessons learned from that, number one, I listened to my gut. I, I was feeling like, okay, I'm getting antsy. I I really would love to to run a business. Um, number two, being clear with the founders on what I need right like in order for me to come and work here this is what this is what i need um and then number three like raising my hand whenever i could you know when Mm -hmm. i was there like one example was we started a sales strategy group because what i realized was all of the advertising revenue was coming from the movie studios and there was all of this other advertising revenue that was just kind of being left on the table so cheryl grossman um who was on my team and, and i went you know, we said, we're going to start this, this department, you know, and it was like the two of us, <laughs> but but it was something new. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, also look, it was before I had kids, like, y- you have different risk tolerance right. based on where you are in your life, right? So you have to think about all of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and then the other thing that I would say is when I moved from media to investing is I could not have made that move, if I had not created the network and the community that yeah. I that I had created. Because when I was at Time, Inc., I looked up and realized my whole network was media people and I mm-hmm. needed to branch out. And I was very intentional about branching out into the technology community as well as nonprofit. Those were two sectors I was really interested in. Um, and I met a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And, you know, one of the the people that I met was Soraya Daraby, mm-hmm. who really like she came to me you know at time inc looking for mentorship um but she ended up really playing a huge role in my leaving time inc because she's the one who said to me you know fran i have so many she was starting a business and she said i have so many Friends, female friends in New York City who want to start technology-based businesses. And when they look up, there are no mentors. Mm-hmm. You know, And this was probably like seven years ago, eight years ago. And she said, you could be that person. And so I started investing and advising on, as a side hustle while I was at Time. As an angel investor. As an angel investor. And then my kids were like three and 18 months. I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing if I just did this? Like if I could just, I mean, it was scary like to leave that platform yeah. To leave people and time and like where I could I could call anybody and get a call back. And that was scary, right? But I just, I really had a feeling that my life would be so much richer if I could create more space in it for my kids and also to work on this book that I had been thinking about for years. How long were um, you thinking about that? I started thinking about the book in 2009. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's also about... 10 almost 10 years 10 years yeah right so you know so these are decisions right we all like we, we're, we're all faced at times with these crossroads and you know even last year like I, I had an opportunity to go back to a big media company in a really big role and my ego was like all in you know I'm like <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about what my LinkedIn profile is going to look like yeah. and my bio and um And then I I just took a step back and I visualized what my day-to-day would look like. And I realized that all I felt was anxiety and nerves, Mm -hmm. thinking about what my day-to-day would look like. Mm -hmm. Because I wouldn't see my kids as much. You know, I live outside of Manhattan. I'd be commuting in every day. Whereas now I come in like one or two days a week. You know, it's my schedule, right? Um, So just sometimes you have to be really Really, actually, not sometimes, all the time. You have to be really honest with yourself. You know, like, pay attention to how you're feeling. If I was feeling joy and excitement when I was thinking about the opportunity, then I might have tried to figure out a way to make it work. But the fact that I was feeling nervous and anxious, like, to me, that that was not a good sign. Yeah. Right? So I I listened to that very carefully. So I think that there's... Also,
1: this general sense, especially now with social media, that the grass is always greener. Um, and when it comes to career, there's people who are in corporate positions who are just, you know, dreaming of the day they can start their side hustle or, you know, launch uh, their own company. But at the same time, I think there's an interesting shift now where there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are experiencing kind of the the popping of the bubble and, um, you know, the it's not as glamorous as they thought it would be, and maybe they want to go back, you know, into some sort of structured role and, like, learning environment. Um, so what would you say to um, some of those, because what you've, you've talked about is taking the leap from corporate to entrepreneurship, right. um, that ever-growing kind of young cohort of entrepreneurs who are realizing it's not as, as yep. green as they thought it was. Yep,
0: or as glamorous. Yeah. I literally was just having this conversation this morning with a, a really good friend of mine who, um, like me, had a big big career in media, um, and now she's she's investing and she's like, oh my god, like ninety percent <laughs> of startup life just sucks. Like, it's right? Yeah. I mean, it's just so glamorous on the outside, um, but you know what I would say is there's a real appetite on behalf of big companies to bring entrepreneurial people in because. A lot of these companies are trying to create a more entrepreneurial culture. Yeah, um, they're also, you know, looking at what companies can they buy up, um, so, you know, to fill different gaps. And so I think there's there's a real there's a real desire um, that companies have to you know to to bring entrepreneurial people in. I think, you know, look, it's. I think about when I was at Time Inc. and we made a couple of acquisitions. We we acquired a you know a couple of smaller digital companies, and both times the founder lasted one year. Okay, Mm. because they went from um, Mm. calling all the shots, right, to all of a sudden like you're working in a matrixed organization. You have to figure out like how to get buy-in from people who don't report into you. Mm. Um, You can have an idea for what the strategy of the business should be, but that might not fit into the overall strategy of the company so you know so i i think um you just the the biggest advice that i can give is to try to get as clear a picture of what the culture is as possible like do a lot of back channeling like talk to people who used to work at that company go in with your eyes wide open you know like understand the good the bad and the ugly and because then it it actually gives you more knowledge is power right so like if you if you find out that this company, it's the decision-making style is it's very hierarchical. You know, it's it's not as collaborative. Um, but there are so many other positive things that outweigh. At least you're kind of you're going in with your eyes wide open, like knowing that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the more that you can find out about the culture, the more people that you can meet. Um, what I said before: go in and like do a lot of listening, ask a lot of questions, because it's really all about at the end of the day figuring out. How can you create value for the company? Like, what's the best way for you to create value? What's, what's the best fit? Um, so a lot of that will come from understanding, like, what's been tried before? What, what, what's the company excited about? You know, what are the external trends? Um, but, yeah, I think, look, it, Patty Sellers from Fortune – once said that you know your career like it's not a ladder it's more like a junk jungle gym mm-hmm. and it's so true you know there are so many different chapters and phases and you know people look at me and they're like you're never going to go back to a big operating role like never <laughs> say never right you don't know yeah. like for where i am right now like this this really works for me i like working for myself um, but there might be there might be an opportunity, you know, down the road where I love the brand. I love the people. I'm really excited about the potential. Um, i'm I feel good about kind of where my kids are, you know, and it might make perfect sense for me to do that. Um, and I think that's okay. I think we should all give ourselves permission to go with the flow a little bit, you know, and not try to have it like all figured figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of like, Listening to your gut, li- listening to what brings you joy is is being conscious, you know, about the, about the decisions that we make. Mm-hmm.
1: There was a, I was reading a book this past weekend, um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Mm. And there was one question in there that I thought was really relevant. And it was, um, while most motivational books will ask the question, you know, what would you be Willing, what would you do if you weren't afraid to fail? Um, She flipped the question and asked, Mm. What would you do anyway if you thought you might fail? Mm. Like, what would you do that, you know, because it was fun, because it was enriching, that regardless of the outcome, even if you knew you were going to fail, that you would
0: still do it? Um, And that's that's a powerful question, right? Yeah. Because then it's more about the experience and the, the journey. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the outcome.
1: Yeah. And because a, a lot of things that you touched upon, especially as you're you know, growing in your, your career, is um, what I was thinking about is the three kind of external factors that a lot of people are pulled by, which is either money, fame, or power. And whether or not people mm-hmm. admit that, there's, yeah. there's sure. one of those that's driving and usually, the external goal or the outcome is tied to one of those desires. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you flip it, and you're like, "Well, if that outcome doesn't arrive, like, what would I? What would I do? Regardless, because right. it's a journey."
0: Right and No, it's so it's 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 really true. And you know, the the other thing that I would say is, I don't think that. Um, especially given the, the world of social media that we're in people just aren't vulnerable enough you know and i actually experienced this myself when i when i was writing the book i wrote the first chapter of the book and sent it into my editor and he hated it like <laughs> like literally he's like fran like here's the deal you're doing a great job talking about other women you have academic research you're not sharing your own personal stories and failures and learning moments. Like to make the book relatable, like you need to do that. And it was such a learning moment for me because it was scary. It was really scary. And for a second, I'm like, oh, my God, he's not going to accept the manuscript. You know, because am I going to be able to do that? And once I started doing that, once I started just being really open, and there are so many stories in the book about times that it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, right? And what did I learn, right? There's always there's always stuff that you learn. It goes back to data, like being powerful. And But um, once I started opening up, it just made the book so much better, you know? And we, we sent in the chapter again, and he loved it. And then we had like our framework for the rest of the book. Um, I never truly understood. I know Brene Brown talks about vulnerability like all the time and how you can't have a deep relationship with someone if you're not vulnerable, right? Um, It's the same thing when you're writing a book. If you're Mm -hmm. not vulnerable, you're not going to have that relationship with your reader. I mean, look, before we turned on the microphone, you and I were, were being very vulnerable with each other, right? Yeah. And what did you say to me? You said, this is the first time all day where I actually feel authentic. Yeah because you got something off your chest that was bothering you instead of having to be like everything is perfect I have everything tied up in a bow right um because that's the side of ourselves that we want to show to everyone but that's it's not true like everyone is dealing with stuff every single one of us is dealing with stuff right and I feel like when you know we both opened up and then we just got to a really great Place from a conversation perspective yeah because it's like oh this is going to be real okay good you yeah know? <laughs> yeah
1: and i think that's that's really when i talk about enoughness it's it's kind of shedding that persona of of greatness um because ultimately you know you can achieve a lot of great things um but it, it doesn't really change who you are at the core. Yeah. And what I found is especially when people do focus on those external metrics of success, it's almost as if that outward persona gets greater and greater um, and further and further away from who you are. And so that's where the gap comes from, right? The feeling of
0: never being enough. And the more you achieve, the, the, more the you worse want. it gets. The worse it gets. Yeah. Because it's like it's never – when is it enough then, right? It's like never enough. Um, I, I shared the story with you about my friend Agape Stasinopoulos where, you know, I joined her for lunch one day and I like rush in. She's sitting, you know, sitting at the table and I sit down and she's like, darling, how are you? How, how have you been? And I totally launched into like the litany of projects, you know, that I've been working on. And she took my hand and she said, stop. <laughs> I asked you how you're doing, not what you're doing. And we got into this whole thing. And she wrote on the placemat. she wrote, you are enough. You are enough. Because we become addicted to being busy, right? And it's like, oh, how much can I take on? Because we love checking, you know, checking all those things off, right? Um, And it's really great to surround yourself with people like Agapi who can ground me Mm -hmm. and just totally call me on it. You know? Yeah. Like other friends would have just they would have just let me go. They they would have actually like been like, Oh my god, that's amazing. Tell me more about that. Oh my right? Like they mm-hmm. want to hear more and more and more and more. Um whereas Agape is like, just just take a take a breath. It's you know, just just take a breath. It's okay. Like let's just you know let's just spend a little time together let's have share a meal it's okay if we're not like talking all the time you know and so having those people in your life it's really important people to remind you that actually you are enough exactly the way that you are mm-hmm. right we all are yeah our kids yeah think about what we do to our kids right the overscheduling the so it's it's it trickles down yeah
1: and so for people who are in this place where They're juggling or trying to figure out what they want, right? Juggling a number of different options. Um, One of the things you talked about was just like tapping into your gut. Um, Are there there other exercises that you've done? Because I think especially for women, um, it's, it's really hard to distinguish what other people have said you should want. So much so that that narrative is entangled with, the internal, and it just becomes confusing, even with timelines and everything. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I know there is, there's, there's tension, right, between, like, um, what you authentically want to be, and then the expectations that are, that are out there, and so here's one thing I would say, is if you're thinking about kind of a few different options, I, Find that it's really helpful to talk to people who have done, you know, have gone down the path of each of those different options. Mm-hmm. Um, like people will come to me to ask me about like, wait, how did you do that? How did you go from media to investing? You know, and I, and I tell them and I tell them the the, the great parts of it. I tell them what I would have done differently. I, you know, so don't reinvent the wheel. Like there, there are people who've already been down the path and having a coffee with them and just really getting going deep and understanding, like, you know, um, first of all, did did it work for you? Are you happy? Like, you know, are there certain things that you did that you would suggest that that I do? Or are there certain things that I shouldn't do? Like, for me, it's always a combination of data and gut, data and gut. So it's like you want to take in the data from people who have actually followed these paths. But then you do have to make the, the decision mm-hmm. with your with, with your gut. But I think that's definitely an exercise is to find people who've made the, that transition, who've done it well, and then find somebody who where it didn't go well. Like mm-hmm. talk to both. Yeah. Right? So like somebody who like went from entrepreneur to corporate. Like find somebody who, like, wow, they they've been in that corporate job for four years. They seem really happy, like, oh let me and then let me talk to somebody who like flamed out after three months of Mm -hmm. going into corporate and getting, getting, getting those, uh, you know, get, getting the data set. I think it's really important. I also really like to um, start small and like the whole idea of like, try before you buy, like if there's any way that you can get in and do like a small consulting project, um, you know, if it's a company or if it's, you know, If it's, like, you're thinking about launching your own business, is it just, like, a much smaller prototype that you could launch? Like, just, if you just start small again, see how it makes you feel. Are you enjoying working on it? Are you enjoying working with the people that you're working with? Mm -hmm. Um, That's, for me, that is definitely the way to go. Because it really mitigates the risk. Yeah. It really does versus just, like, jumping in 100%, right? Mm-hmm. Because you don't really know. Like, do you know, I, I remember interviewing this woman once who, for a job, and I just loved her personally. Like, it's crazy. Like, I almost became, like, starstruck by her because <laughs> I'm like, oh, she she could be my girlfriend. Like, I could totally see having lunch with her. Yeah. And we went down this path of, like, this, like, really personal conversation. I ended up hiring her, and she was like she was not the right fit at all mm. for the job. It lasted for like six months, um, so like that would have been a great example where if we had just done a smaller project, like I would have, mm. I would have known right right away. Um, but also like the separating the personal from the professional sometimes too, right? Yeah. Like I know it's all integrated, um, but sometimes we be- we really like someone. We like them a lot as an individual and we forget to ask the hard questions and we forget to you know like I always say like when you're interviewing you should always ask how instead of what and what I mean by that is it's not really about the outcome that they've listed on their resume it's like how did they work with other people Mm. to get to that outcome it's like you know, it's, it's thinking about the way, getting into the way that they work, mm-hmm. right? Like, because you can sort of glean, like, oh, are they a collaborator or do they just kind of, like, make a decision and just, like, go, you know? Mm. So... Yeah, because people well, will always present the what and the, like, is inf- inflated and... And it's so easy to present the what, right? Yeah. It's like, we grew monthly unique visitors from 5 million to, you know, to 30 million, but what was your specific role in that? Like, how did you, you know? Like, yeah. the whole team is saying that, which they should because they were all a part of it, but mm-hmm. what did you specifically do and how did you work with the team? And Yeah, um, and I think looking at incongruencies,
1: I, as you're saying that I'm thinking through some of the, the mistakes that I've had in the past and being starstruck by people who'd say, I help my company, um, you know, we are $9 billion, in the f- and, and a part of me thought, but didn't ask, well then, why aren't you like on a yacht? You know, like,
0: <laughs> in Totally, Greece. right, why are um, you here, like talking <laughs> to me? <laughs>
1: um, but that, that's usually what, what I come up against, because with people who do talk really big, and there's a, a small gut
0: feeling of, but wait, why is this your environment then? Right. And then, but you know what we do? Because I do this too. You suppress that small yeah. gut feeling. You do. It's it's uh, like, I, I've been there. I know. It's like, there's something inside of you that's like, there's something that's not right about this. It doesn't smell right. You know, it's like the whole, like, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, and sometimes, truthfully, it's just because... We do that because it's just easier. You want the person to be the right fit. Yeah. You want, you know, to be like, you, so it's like when you do research and you know what you want the research to say, right? And it's like the research comes back and you, you mold it so that it fits what you want to say, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's the same type of thing. So yeah, yeah. being very, very careful about that. Really listening to, to yourself. Like if you have like a little bit of a nagging feeling, explore that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've learned to, to be able to say I need to sleep on that
1: because I, I need time to make decisions and let my mm-hmm. intuition catch up with all of the
0: the incoming inputs and yeah, the other thing that I'm seeing with um. You know, technology it's such a wonderful thing, but you know we all know too that there are just some ramifications that are probably not as as desirable and. You know, one of the things that I'm seeing, I'm curious if you're seeing this, is um, with founders that, that I've invested in, you know, they, they get introduced to a potential investor. They get introduced online. And there's some a little bit of back and forth, like over email. Maybe there's like a, a pitch deck that's in a doc's end that the investor looks at, mm-hmm. and a phone call, um, and the investor expresses a great deal of interest, and then they ghost. Yeah. And the reason I bring this up is because, do you know why there's so much ghosting it's because it's so much easier to, to ghost when you've met the person online and mm. you're far less likely to ever see the person face to face whereas like 20 years ago like if you met somebody you probably met them face to face do you know what I mean or like interesting you have mutual friends you have so that's like the downside just from like a humanity perspective right do you do you see that like think yeah. tinder it's the same thing with dating right it's like yeah, it's absolutely. just so easy to ghost
1: the, the ghosting thing is probably the most frustrating um, From the, yeah, I've, I've talked to investors who so many times, they they' they'll say they're supporters, they can't wait, they're super
0: interested. I'd love to introduce you to X,YZ. Nothing. Nothing happens. I know. I know. Yeah, that that is something that I would really love to see change in this industry. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, I I just, I really think about, you know, working at places like Coca-Cola or Time Inc. Like, that's just not the way that business was done. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because so much of it was face-to-face and it was very relational. Um, And we've just become so transactional and it's just so easy. It's Mm -hmm. way too easy to to ghost. And I, I would just love for investors to be more transparent right up front. Like, if you're not going to invest, it's totally fine. Yeah. It's actually, you're, you're doing the person such a huge favor, right, by being open and, and, and honest. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, like, I, I've had founders who had, you know, they had LOIs, and then they just, hmm. the person disappeared. Like, so, anyway, yeah. I had to bring that up because it's just <laughs> something that I'm
1: seeing <laughs> It's more yeah. and more of. I had a conversation about that, um this morning with another founder um, and we were talking about the the worst sort of rejection which is this is this is so ambitious and if there's anybody who could do it it's you all I need to see is right X right um, and it's right. Know, 30% Traction. month over month yes. growth or it's yeah. you know bring this incredible like celebrity on board exactly um, and so you're just keeping them on the hook in case totally. Absolutely.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't envy you. I know how hard it is. <laughs>
1: um, so the, an, another thing that I want to talk about was um, this idea of um, trust, mm. which is obviously something that's easy to talk about, um, but not the easiest to cultivate. And mm. certainly, um, you know, even as you're talking about ghosting, um, something that's very easy to lose. So, how have you found, um, as you've been you know going through your career, um, ways that you've been able to cultivate trust and keep that trust even as you've gotten busy?
0: So one way that I that um, I think has worked for me in 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 a pretty powerful way is, I am I've always been really good about expressing gratitude, and I'll I'll give you an example. So when I was a time. Mitch Claif was the CIO for, for all of Time Inc. And he would only hear from people when there were problems, right? Like mm. email is down, the website is down, right? And I made such an effort whenever like anybody on his team did really good work for me or for anybody on my team, I would send Mitch an email and I would copy the employee um, who I was praising. And that So that's one thing, and I know Mitch really appreciated that, because w- especially when you're in a job where, like, you're only hearing from people when things aren't going right, like, it was just so nice, like, in the middle of the day to get a note like that and to feel appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, like, I actually, I like to spend time getting to know people, you know, and Mitch is, you know, a really great example of that where, I would just walk into his office, like we would talk about stuff, we would talk about our families, we, you know, we would, we would we got to know each other. And the reason why I bring this up is because it was so important for me to be successful in my role as president of digital, right, where we're launching digital products. I need technology. I need, I need IT. And so whenever I would walk into Mitch's office to ask for something, he would always say like, what are you going to get out of me this time? Because he couldn't say no to me. And you know, there's also this idea of like, if I'm asking him for resources, and my peer is asking him for resources, and we both have like a really strong projected ROI on the project, who is he going to give resources to the person that he has a relationship with, Mm -hmm. that's based on trust. So I just think be very, very, very thoughtful about um, like, we rush through our days, okay, like, there are times where you're in a 30-minute meeting with somebody and you go in and you're like, okay, these are the three things that I know I have to get out of this meeting, right? Because you're so pressed for time and you're so busy. But if you just paused and started the conversation by asking them how they're doing, um, how they're feeling about whatever it is that you're working on together, and really trying to empathize and understand what what's important to them what what do they need to get out of this like what do they value if you take a few minutes to do that that establishes trust because you're showing the person that you care about what they think and what matters to them um so this idea of empathy is you know it's everything really mm-hmm. because if you think of any conversation, whether you're disagreeing with someone, whether you're asking for a raise, whether you're negotiating, if you enter into the conversation from a place of empathy, you will be much more likely to have a better a better outcome. Mm-hmm. And I do think it goes it goes back to trust because this person isn't just like, wait a second, like yeah, okay, Lisa came in like guns a blazing, you know, with like <laughs> here are the three things that I need. Um, so but it it takes a real kind of um mindfulness and you know this idea of, like being able to take breath and like t- you know investing the time in the relationship as opposed to just again being transactional mm-hmm. right that takes time and we did um we looked at all the digital data that's available on the book in terms of like which concepts from the book are resonating mm-hmm. the most we looked at social media we looked at the highlighted for ver- you know what, what was highlighted on kindle and um, we came up with our ten, 10 practices that resonated the most. And one of them was that, you know, basically to use empathy mm-hmm. in every human interaction that you're in. So if you just think about that, like every human interaction, no matter what it is, that you're going to be empathetic and put yourself in the other person's shoes, try to get into their head. Mm. Um, Even as a founder who's pitching to
1: Investors. an investor.
0: Yeah. What were some surprising um, things that you saw in those top 10? Oh, my God. So, like, the I'll tell you, this – This one little part of the book, it was such a like a small part of the book, where I talked about um, replacing I'm sorry with thank you. Hmm. And the reason I I talked about that is because, uh, you know, women, we tend Hmm. to apologize more than men do. And when you apologize for trivial things, it makes you look weak. And so it's really important, like, if I'm responding to an email, because I, I was guilty of this. I was always I like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything. Um, you can replace I'm sorry with, you know, thank you for your patience or mm-hmm. thank you for the invitation. As opposed to, like, I'm so sorry I can't make it. You know, like, thank you is so much more powerful and it's so much more positive and it's such better energy. That small little part of the book, like... I can't even tell you. It, it was the first excerpt that was chosen. Oprah.com hmm. chose it over any other excerpt. Um, and it's just, it's gotten the most like social media attention. And mm. I always get asked about it. It's really interesting. I think, interesting. think also because it's a very tactical thing that you can do. Yeah. Right? It's like you can remember, okay. I'm not going to apologize for trivial things. I'm going to replace I'm sorry with thank you. Like, it's very, right? It's just yeah. very, very doable. Very I practical. remember there was a Chrome
1: extension called Just Not Sorry. We talked about that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, really? I, because yeah. I ended up downloading it. Oh, because yeah. what happened was a friend of mine at time in called me out and said, do you realize you apologize like all the time? And I didn't believe her. <laughs> so I went into my inbox and I typed the word sorry into the the, the search field and, like, hundreds and hundreds of emails came back. And when I read through those emails, I was horrified. You know, it's like, I'm so sorry. It's, like, I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to respond to you. It was, like, four hours, you know. Uh, <laughs> now it's, like, five weeks later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I downloaded that plugin, And that was huge because, yeah. it right, it alerts you every time you say yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um,
1: and the last thing that you talked about in the book was about mentorship, which is also a relationship of trust. Um, so, how do you recommend uh, people, you know, go about even even figuring out the type of mentor yeah. that they should have? Yeah. Because I think sometimes people will just, you know, like choose a name and like
0: first person that comes by, but they have to also be really intentional about that. That's the word is intentional. Like really thinking about, um, for example, you know, if you're working at a company and you love working there and you see yourself being there for a while. It would be a good idea, you know, to have somebody who's in a powerful position at the company to be a mentor. I mean, right? Like that, that can be very helpful to you. But if you're feeling like the itch and like, okay, you know what? I think I kind of want to try something else like me, like technology, investing in technology. Um, You really have to be purposeful about, okay, so what kind of person could be helpful to me? Um... And then, how can I get to that person? You know, usually through LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is really an incredible tool to get war- a warm introduction. Mm. Um, so I would definitely like, like you said, be intentional. Think about what it is that you need first, um, and then, you know, put together a target list of like a handful of people and a plan on like how are you going to get to those people. Like, you know, this one young woman. Um, she was having a really hard time getting to me. Like, she was just reach, reaching out cold, reaching out cold. And she looked at my speaking schedule, and she came to one of my talks. And she was online waiting to, to speak to me, and she had this big gift bag in her hand. Like, how could I not say hello to her? And I didn't know that she was trying yeah. so desperately to yeah. get a hold of me online. But um, I thought, wow, okay, that that's that's really smart. You know, she's being really creative and resourceful. Um, another woman on LinkedIn reached out asking if we could do coffee, but she said um, that she took a look at my portfolio companies and noticed that there were two companies that could really use some social media help and that she had ideas for me. And so right there, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a mutually beneficial yeah. thing. This is awesome. Like, of course, I'm going to take the meeting. So mm-hmm. like, as opposed to just getting the, you know, I'd like to pick your brain. <laughs> yeah, those are The worst. The worst. <laughs> Don't say that yeah. ever, 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 yeah. ever. Like, it's very parasitic, you know? It's like... <gasps> so to me, yeah. that that was, again, really smart because she took the time to do the research. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, okay, not only can I be helpful to her in the meeting, but she's also going to give me advice that can yeah. be helpful to my companies.
1: Yeah. I definitely... I've gotten some emails, too, that were um, along the lines of, hey, here's what we're building. Someone told me you could help us. Thanks.
0: Let me know when you can have a call. <laughs> I I get those all the time, all the time. And it's like, so the first step is... Can you get a warm introduction, right? Is there somebody like? Is there a mutual connection? And by the way, write the forwardable email Mm -hmm. for the person, right? Because the person's going to want to get the other person to opt in to the introduction. So write the forwardable email. Make it really easy for the person to make the warm introduction. Um, You know, and then if you can't get a warm introduction, if you do have to go the cold route, you have to be really generous. Mm -hmm. You know, like what, how generous and creative? Yeah because otherwise it's <laughs> you're not going to get through like right you I'm sure All you have noise. like a million yeah. you're not going to get through yeah um,
1: well, I want to acknowledge you for all that you've done, and you know, finally getting this—the dream of your book out after you know such a such a great career—and um, I know that you have a lot more ahead of you. Um, so I'm excited to see what you do, and I uh, want to thank you for all the advice, the really actionable advice that you've given to the listeners. Oh, this was such a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to do is just do some quick-fire questions. Okay. Um, and so I'll just ask you a few of your one things. Okay. Um, so to start, what is one book that you would unhesitatingly recommend outside of your own?
0: <laughs> um, Siddhartha mm. by Herman Hesse. Uh, it's just, it's very grounding, you know, um, and just talk about, like, connecting with yourself and also reminding us like how small like each one of us is like in relation to like the whole entire world and universe and um but i i just i go back to that book a lot when i feel like i need to recenter Mm. and what is um one
1: person that has helped you feel powerful
0: um enriched throughout your career i would say and i'm actually meeting him in 15 minutes paul kane Uh, He was the chief revenue officer at Time Inc. And he is just an incredible human being who always had my back. Hmm. And whenever he heard about different opportunities at the company, he was always very quick to say Fran would be amazing at that. That's amazing. Yeah. And what's one mantra that you live your life by? The the E.E. Cummings quote, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. Sometimes I... I feel going back to what you said before that we're trying to live up to like other people's expectations of who we should, of who we should be. Um, and it, it takes a lot of courage to just really be yourself, you know, and bring like the best parts of you. We, we have some parts that aren't so great, right? All of us. But like, if you can bring the best parts forward, um, it's, it's such a gift, really, to yourself and to all the people around you.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what is one thing that you would be doing if you knew you were going to fail anyway?
0: I would say open... I've always had this dream of like of opening up a retail mm. store. I, I don't know what it would be, but um, ever since... Ever since I was a little girl, like I've just always felt like I was going to own like my own like brick and mortar business. Hmm. And um, so that that's something that, yeah, definitely. Because I think that would be a lot of fun <laughs> and I would learn so much. I'm excited to to go to your grand opening. Because, <laughs> <Nine laughs> you know, it'll happen now. We're, we're manifesting now.
1: <laughs> um, and last thing, because I want to make this as actionable as possible for all the listeners. What is one challenge you'd like to issue that they could go and do today even right after this podcast
0: gosh there's so many that are that are in the book like i'm thinking about the top 10 practices um okay i would actually challenge people to create boundaries around their time and energy they're the most precious resources we have it's not money right it's our time and it's our energy and i in the book i talk about a model that i use called the four square model that i've been using for eight years and it is so helpful um and if anyone would like i have a digital version of it that that i'm happy to send to any of the listeners they can just connect with me um either on linkedin or through my my website Mm -hmm. um and i would be happy to share that it's it's because it's really all about being very intentional about setting your priorities um and then it's it's the alignment of your priorities with your calendar and your to do list, and that checking in process to make sure mm-hmm. that where you want to spend your time, you're actually spending your time. And then the final part is like, how do you say no to things that aren't um, that aren't in in alignment? In alignment. Mm-hmm. So that's my big challenge because I think many of us have FOMO. We're afraid of missing out on things, so we say yes, we say yes, 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 yes. And then we get burnt out and we get really tired. So that that would be my biggest challenge is just to be very intentional about where you want to spend your time and energy.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you, Lisa. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I created the Enoughness podcast to reveal the real stories behind the leaders we admire to address this universal question that we all have at some point or another. Am I good enough? So just remember that you're not on this journey alone and that you do have the power of enoughness. If you want the full show notes and transcript from today's episode, go to www.lisawang.co slash podcast. Again, that's lisawang.co slash podcast. And you'll be able to follow along. I'd love if you could leave a review or tag anything that you share on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag enoughness. And you can find me at LisaWorks, L-I-S-A-W-O-R-X, on Twitter or Instagram. Catch you in the next episode.